Ham Radio 360 podcast. We're talking FSQ. We're talking Linux. We're talking all sorts of things with the old tech guy coming up. MTCRadio.com presents Ham Radio 360, the podcast. Brought to you by Elecraft. Now, here's your host, Kel Nelson, K4CDN. Welcome into another episode of Ham Radio 360 Podcast. It's hot in the deep south, and that's where I'm at up here in the barn without the air. I, I, I'm going to have to have a new space, guys, by the way. Hint, hint. Hey, uh, thank you very much for tuning in to the Ham Radio 360 Podcast. Do this every other week. Ham Radio 360 is like a big umbrella. It's a brand, I guess you'd have to call it. And we, we have multiple podcasts about multiple topics, all of them revolving around the amateur radio hobby. This just happens to be the conversational interview-type program you get with me, the Godfather, as I've been called here of all things Ham Radio 360. Uh, this time through, uh, I've got a call with Kevin Laughlin. His his call sign is Kilo Bravo 9 Random Long Wire. We're going to catch up with Kevin in a few minutes. i got three segments with him. Started out talking about FSQ, then we get into some Linux and some other things, so don't miss out on that. I'll be winding up the show solo with some, uh, I don't know, entertainment opinions. I don't know what you... We'll see, because I haven't recorded it yet, right? So we'll get there in a minute. Uh, before I go too far, a couple of things. Texas, Louisiana, um, my, my peeps down in the deep south, God bless you. My family's been praying for you, and uh, we sincerely uh, hope you're okay. Uh, wow. It's <sighs> What else do you say? We love you guys and, and hope everybody's okay. Uh, I, I, like I said, I've been podcasting for about uh, three and a half years. I started off with a couple of sponsors. The very first sponsor I ever had was Main Trading Company from Paris, Texas. Now, right now, I think Richard is probably somewhere between here and Japan going to the big ICOM party in Japan. Yeah, can I cannot wait to hear the or see the YouTube videos or something of Richard with his cowboy boots on in Japan. That should be that should be very, very interesting. So why am I telling you that? Well, ICOM is everywhere, and they've got great rigs, whether you're looking for walkie-talkies, Class A rigs to put on your, your desk there in your shack, something portable for the field. They've got it all, and I'm going to tell you, of course, to spend your money with my friends at Main Trading Company, mtcradio.com. They've been with me from day one. And you won't find a better place to shop. The customer service is beyond comparison with their with their peers. I mean, it's just above above the rim. So check them out. MTCRadio.com. Pick up all your ICOM radios. Let Richard know Kel sent you from the Ham Radio 360 podcast, and he'll take extra special care of you. Kevin Laughlin, Kilo Bravo 9, and Romeo Lima Whiskey. We've talked on and off emails back and forth back and forth for months. Been really interested in getting him here on the program to discuss FSQ. I have been wanting to learn about this FSQ mode for quite a while. And I actually found out about it through Julian, OH8STN. That's easy to say. <laughs> our, our, our friend that's on um, YouTube. So... Julian posted your video as well as a lot of other noise when he was, uh, I don't want to say call it noise, but he, he got excited when he learned about the mode and he was doing a lot of testing and whatnot with it. And he linked your video. I found it in a Twitter post and here I am today with you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So when, when I stumbled over the video, it, it kind of began helping me understand what 
the idea behind FSQ was, it's not necessarily like everybody wants to play with now JT8, but it's it's more of a chat service. And if if I'm not mistaken, it's really not made for just going out and trying to make DX contacts. I mean, is it really like a friends kind of uh, almost informal type net? Uh, you know, I'm still actually been thinking since I did that video, I still think about what niche this mode would fall into. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a chat mode, you know, so it's more for communication, um, talking to other people. But it's also kind of like an organized net kind of mode where you could have multiple stations on frequency and direct messages to individual stations. So, so I don't. I'm sorry. I was just going to say. So help us help me understand here real quick, and I'm kind of putting the cart before the horse. But if I sent you a message, would everyone else receive the message, or would it go directly to you? Uh, if you clicked on my call sign in the software, the message would be directed only to me. The other stations would receive it but ignore it. Okay. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to cut you off because it sounded like you were going somewhere there. So please excuse my uh, my my haste. Uh, but but you were saying that it feels like a chat server uh, for a, a group of friends who leave on a frequency and, and may kind of come back and forth throughout the day, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it's not really real time in a sense. You know, like if you're if you do digital like Riddy or PSK, um, as you're typing, he's seeing the letters, and as he's typing, you're seeing the letters decoded. You know, it's it's real time back and forth. Whereas this, you don't actually see anything pop up until the message for you has been completely decoded. So there's long delays. Um, it it it's kind of shares some DNA with um, ALE, which is the, the military automatic link establishment um, system. Uh, and it shares some DNA with uh, traditional communication, communication modes like RIDI or PSK. Um, it's kind of a hybrid. It's, it's sort of in between there. I'm not sure exactly where it would be used. Well, when I look at it, it, I think it's kind of cool, but in, I'm watching your video. I'm watching a couple of other things. I'm reading about it. I'm trying to educate myself and, and guys listening here's in, in all honesty, I have put off learning about this mode this entire time, um, because I wanted to be able to learn about it with you. Now I know that it, you guys may have been in it and out of it, and now everybody's J- JT8 or whatever's next week. But this is a mode that really intrigues me on a lot of different levels, most especially like with, within our local Aries group. Um, but at the same time, I kind of I really like the way it feels when you you don't see your message until it pops up to where you just don't have a lot of clutter on the display screen. You're only seeing what's intended for you. Uh, right. You know, it feels to me like I'm I'm back in maybe 1999, 2000 doing some AOL instant messaging. Is that do, do well, you have that same vibe? That's kind of what I likened it to in the video. I think I said it's like a chat service like AIM or uh, like texting on cell phones. Yeah. You know, you, you get the full message that comes across at once. And anytime you had some kind of an organized group of people where you had to do message passing, um, you know, to individual stations, it, it would work. Um, I just don't know what situations that would apply to. You know, I was listening to the Hurricane Watch Net last night, and I was thinking this might be the type of a scenario where um, FSQ would be useful. If you had a designated frequency and you had, you know, a bunch of emergency stations all sitting on that frequency. And, you know, it doesn't have to be HF. It could be over VHF, too. Right. Um, 
you know, and then you could just direct messages specifically to certain stations. You know, the EOC could say, okay, I need to, to tell the guy at Hospital 3 that um, we've got blood plasma heading their way. You know, you could just send that message and know that it's just going to pop up on that guy's screen. So scenarios like that, I could see where it could be useful. Yeah, it really seems to me, uh, uh, to echo you there, that that would be a very good use for it if, of course, we were using it out here. Uh, I know some folks that use it, or I have read about folks using it on VHF, and it, it apparently works really well there um, because it's almost quasi-VHF ready, I guess you would say. And I, I don't know. It, it seems like to me it's a, it's a good answer looking for a problem potentially, and it, it's just going to take somebody deciding to uh, put it into practice and giving it a shot. Mm, yeah. Yeah, and, and as I said earlier, it's kind of like a, a minimalist, a partial implementation of ALE. Have you ever um, read about ALE? Yeah, matter of fact, uh, from what little I do understand about it, it's from some past reading, and then again, our buddy Julian uh, doing some of that here lately on his channel, uh, making those established contacts. Pretty cool stuff, and I think that could, could we almost call this, the FSQ, could we almost call it like poor man's ALE? Yeah, well, sort of, but not really. I mean, ALE at its at its design um, for the military was you'd have multiple HF stations at different posts or whatever, and they have um, several channels on different HF frequencies, and they wanted a way to organize that so that you know if I want to send a message to uh, station Bravo Alpha. Um, I know it's going to get there. And then the radios take care of the rest. They find the, the best frequency to use. They'll have frequencies on several different HF bands that they're constantly scanning through, sounding on and listening for each other on. So they know what propagation, the, the system knows what propagation is good between point A and point B and picks that particular band and frequency to send the message. Um, so there's a lot more automation in ALE. There's a lot, uh, there's much more to it. FSQ is like throwing out all of that, band hopping automation uh, and automatic link establishment and letting you do that. You choose the frequency. Okay. I know we're going to be on this frequency. And then it just tries to do the message passing. So we've got particular frequencies that are established here in the U S and I, I guess for different regions really. And yeah. uh, that's where you find the traffic uh, for folks who are out there looking to make contacts. But that's not necessarily to say that you have to use X frequency with between you and your buddy across town or on the other side of the county or something. You can utilize what works best for you guys, uh, whether it's HF, VHF, or six meters maybe in between. Right. Yeah, sure. There, there's calling channels. You know, the, the 40 meters, 7.104 um, megahertz is is kind of the, the, the chosen calling frequency or common point. But you could you could shift off. If you were going to have a conversation with somebody and you didn't want to tie that up, you could say, you know, hey, it's clear a couple kilohertz up, uh, up. let's go up. Um, just like you do with any other mode. You know, PSK um, 70.070. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's uh, what I can remember. That's, yeah, that's where you find most of the traffic. But I've run across guys having PSK um, QSOs above 7.1. Right. You know, so it. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. These are the recommended frequencies where you're probably going to find some activity if there's any going on, and uh, you can move if you wanted to. So we're going to refer back to your video, I'm sure, uh, from, from time to time during the call. Yeah, I watched it last night just so I'd be <laughs> fresh on it. It was, it was a while ago. Yeah, it, it has been a while. Actually, it, it, it might have been wintertime 
when that one was produced because it looked like you might have had a, a, a coat on or, or a, like an overshirt or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, it gets kind of chilly in the winter. <laughs> it does, and uh, down down here in the deep south, no air conditioning running now. It's it's really still warm. But uh, you, when you created that video, you had a CUSO with a friend of yours. Uh, who, who I believe was also a nine call. So how far away were you guys? You were on HF, but how far away were you guys during that uh, QSO? He was just across town. It, wow. Yeah, he was just across town. It was just, uh, you know, I need to shoot this video. Well, I'll help you out. So he uh, fired his radio up. And there's not a lot of activity on FSQ. Um, I would sit there in the evenings, you know, several nights in a row wanting to film that uh, on 7.104. And I'd hear an occasional station, but I could never get anybody to come back to me. Um, so I was just like, ah, I'll just schedule something with somebody local just to do the demo. Yeah, yeah. so basically ground wave propagation. Yeah. Throw it at your window and he can hear it, by the way. You know, just turn the speaker up and he can audio couple it for you. Yeah, I think he's only about six, seven miles away. Nice. Well, well hey, that's further proof it does work really close in. And if you see some other examples online, you can see it work much further out. So. It uh, it is it is a an opportunity to communicate with people utilizing a different mode that for this week is not JT eight. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you call that communication. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm not sure what it is because I've never done any of the JT modes. Matter of fact, um, this one is just it's kind of funny how eight has just kind of grasped everybody. And I think it may be the speed and how the the call progresses uh, versus the sixty five and the nine. But it's yeah, it really funny. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's funny to me how people have just, you know, latched onto this and, and anytime I get on the repeaters or I'm listening on other repeaters and whatnot, I'm hearing, Oh, help me set this up so I can do eight and I'm working on eight and I'm trying to make this contact and it's it's kind of taken it's almost like uh, the eclipse is over. Let's talk about JT eight. It's a fever. Um, you know, and it's it's the equivalent of, of texting on cell phones, I think, even though there's more communication there, the, the JT modes. You know, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes. There's a lot of guys that really enjoy that stuff. But they were designed for a specific thing. They were designed for, for weak signal propagation, EME moon bounce and stuff, where you only get slivers of, of signal through. Um, and what they've what people are doing with it is they're stuffing their logs full of, oh, look, I contacted New Zealand and all that. But, you know, what, what did you really do? Your, your computer and your radio kind of pinged at each other, and that's right. it. <laughs> it's not communication per se. Yeah, yeah. And, and like you said, everybody has their their own uh, their own way to play, and I, I guess that works for some. Here I am having an actual conversation over the internet, of course, but but doing it with voices, which is my preferred method. Although I really dig the digital modes. Um, but- uh, yeah, I when I was uh, fourteen or fifteen and first getting interested in radio, my uh, my dad had a ham that he worked with. And he uh, invited me to come to his shack. Um, and, you know, 15 years old, I was just all excited about that. You know, um, We're talking back in the right around 1980. Uh, and he was he was quite an advanced ham for the time. He had uh, the ability to do slow scan TV and RIDI, um, which back then RIDI was, you know, a big teletype machine yeah. banging away in there. And uh, for slow scan TV, um, he had a converted fax machine, which used a rotating drum and paper that was coated with sort of a metalized silvery coating and a little wire that would touch the drum. And then the drum would rotate and the wire would slowly move across it as it rotated. And the incoming signal would get amplified to a current on the wire that would burn off some of that silver coating on the paper. 
the stronger the signal, the darker the line. And so as the uh, drum rotated and the wire moved across it, you drew an image line by line from the slow scan uh, signal coming over the radio. So that, that, was, that was how they did it back then. It was all mechanical. Um, but really was just flat-out communication. You were having a conversation with somebody by typing. Um, and I really like PSK uh, for that, you know, because it's, it's quick and instant and really good with low, uh, weak signals. Right. Uh, but, but even there, uh, it's hard to find a conversation. Most <laughs> people that I get, I, I'm typing on the keyboard, and I'm, you know, hello, hi, my name's Kevin, and, and uh, what I get back is their macros. They just click down their macros. Here's my brag file, here's my station info, and here's my 73 button. You know, <laughs> click, click, click. Oh, boy, another contact. It's like, I wanted to talk. <laughs> Well, you know, that, that kind of leads me into something that I didn't really anticipate. But, you know, for, I guess, different modes of operation, especially inside the digital modes, there are some uh, some rules or some unwritten rules, maybe some not-so-gentlemanly agreements. But I've noticed the same thing. A lot of times it's just a 5-9 kind of a – almost like a contest contact and uh, that's the end of it. Now, some days that's really all you want, but there are other days like you're saying, hey, I'm looking for somebody to talk to. Can we have a conversation? And once in a while you run into them, but it's not like it used to be. Yeah. We're, we're slowly uh, devolving to the days of the Jetsons. Um, I don't know if you remember the Jetsons, <laughs> oh, but, yeah. you know, George, George would go to work and what would he do? He'd sit in a chair and he'd push a button. Yeah. That's that's JT. <laughs> you sit in a chair and push a button and go, oh boy, more numbers for the log, yay! <laughs> right, right. So when when you operate digital, you said you enjoy PSK thirty one. I mean, is that your go to when you do digital mode operating, or do you have other opinions? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but I like to converse. Uh, if the band seems dead, that's where I'll go to one of the JT modes. You know, when when there's just not enough propagation there to do voice and CW would even be difficult. There might be a chance of at least um, making a contact for the log with somebody in South America or, you know, New Zealand or somewhere. So that's, uh, that's where I like the JT modes. Hey, can you stick around for another segment here on the, on the podcast? Sure. I got all day. Okay. Hang on guys. We'll be right back. We're chatting with Kevin KB nine RLW back in a moment. Ellacraft.com is hands-on ham radio, the brand new beast. That's right, the legal limit amplifier certified by the FCC. Taking orders now. Find it, the KX2, the KX3. Everything you're looking for, Ellacraft, is at Ellacraft.com. It's hands-on ham radio, and it's some of the finest stuff that you'll ever get your hands on. All right, so we're back with Kevin, Kilo Bravo 9, Romeo Lima Whiskey. Or as uh, as somebody recently... uh you know, I've had that call for years, and recently on two meters, uh, somebody referred to me as Kilo Bravo Nine Random Longwire, and I did a, I did a face palm and said, "Oh my gosh, that's perfect!" And all these years, I've had that call. <laughs> you, you you know, until someone else says it, you don't ever think about it, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I know how you feel. Um, I, I had a I had a two by three before I got my general and changed it to a vanity with my initials and whatever. And, and right before I changed it, they some guys came up with some of the best you know, different ways to say it. And I was like, man, I should have kept, oh, well. So it's, it's, I get what you're saying. And Random Long Wire, that's what I started with as an amateur uh, general class licensee. Had a, a random wire up at about eight or nine feet. That I was talk- my novel antenna as well. Yeah, I talked all over the world on the crazy thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked from Michigan to um, Hawaii with one and a half watts on a Heathkit HW8 and a wire running up out of my bedroom window to a tree. Don't you love it? And, and we, can we make this thing complicated or what as amateurs? <laughs> yeah, it's as easy or as complicated as you want it. Exactly. Which is one of the things that uh, I like about the, the potential of using FSQ uh, within my local friend group here and potentially around the state of South Carolina, maybe up and down the coast here a little ways. As we look for some answers in our local Aries group for trying to find the best digital mode that isn't WinLink. Right now, the state is is only working with WinLink, uh, which is a great program, and, and I'm not knocking it, but we're looking for an alternative that doesn't require so much work that to get some folks interested in doing digital modes to talking back and forth to the EOC and whatnot. So FSQ really caught my eye back uh, when Julian... The Survival Tech Nord was talking about it on his YouTube channel, his Twitter feed, and, and his Instagram. I got led over to Kevin's video about the FSQ and FSQ call software. And um, I'd like for you to tell me a little bit about getting into using the FSQ. Was it just a curiosity thing? Did you decide, hey, I'm going to try this and then make a video about it? Or was it something that you used a little bit and and uh, and enjoyed the service? Well, I've uh, I've I've run FL Digi for years, and every now and then they release a, a new version that's got extra modes added in, and that's how I discovered it. I I saw it on the list and said, "What's this FSQ thing?" and went and did a little research on it, and then started to play with it. Nice, nice, and, and that's the cool thing about the 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 actual mode itself, in my opinion, is that you have the uh, the software over here to run it by itself, or you can use the ubiquitous FL Digi, which if if you're ham. Really, in, in 2017, and you don't have that installed somewhere in your shack, you're about five years behind Kales. So pick up a copy of FL Digits free. It, it runs across everything, right? Windows, Linux, iOS, everybody can run FL Digit. And Mac, yep. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, uh, when you decided to to get this thing going, when you wanted to see it happen, you said that there was not a lot of traffic, so you had to make a like a sked with a local operator to, to get your video created. Um, ha- have you used it since that time, and have you seen any up or down in the traffic, or is it just kind of out there waiting for somebody to use it? Oh, once in a while. I'll, um, if I'm sitting at the radio and tuning around, I might pop by one of the one of the standard frequencies for it. And if I hear something, you know, I'll, I'll fire the software up and see what's going on. Um, but uh, it's it's not been picking up. I, I don't think it's been trickling off, but I don't think it's been picking up. Right. I'll hear some of the same stations. You know, I'll, if I tune to FSQ and like 7.104, um, there's a couple of guys that that just about every time I run it for a night and just let it sit there, I'll come over and I'll see that one or two of those guys have talked to each other again. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> there's there you know there's the guys that hang out there. Right. Do you have any experience at all with running it uh, VHF or UHF? I've been meaning to experiment with that um, with some local guys, but uh, it's just been kind of hard to coordinate that. Everybody's so busy these days. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons that these uh, these quick, potentially these quick QSO modes, uh, folks are really enjoying those to get in and get out. I've got 30 minutes before she makes me go cut the grass. Let's see if I can get uh, South America you know, Japan or something and, and bang, 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 I'm done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the JT modes are good for that. <laughs> uh, you, how, how long have you been a ham? Cause you said you kind of got uh, bit by the bug back when you were 15, back in the eighties. Um, how, how long yeah, have you been I, operating? Uh, I think I had my novice license when I was 16. So that would be 1982, I think. Nice. And, uh, that was back when you had to, uh, ride the drive to Chicago 
or get my dad to drive me to Chicago. Uh, go up the elevator into this big building and sit across from the man in black um, who'd sit there with his arms folded staring at you while you took the test. And then uh, he'd give you the code test. And <laughs> it was a lot of pressure back then. So you really had to, to know your stuff when you went in to get the license. I could imagine, so man, that, it, it being a, a real uh, over, I don't know, maybe intimidating. Is that is that a good word to use? Yeah, it was a little bit. Yeah, when I say Men in Black, um, I'm I'm not kidding. They were they looked like the suits that the Men in Black were wearing. You know, the, the dark suit, dark tie. Um, this guy even had tinted glasses, not quite sunglasses, but they were almost they were dark glasses. And the, you know, the butch haircut, the military haircut. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that when was, you compare uh, that, that yeah, compare that to today where you go into, you, you know, you sit down with your VEs and, you know, there are a bunch of, uh, older middle-aged guys and they're, you know, cutting up and wanting to encourage you to do good and pass. And we're going to do, you know, try to get you, get you in and out of here and, and get your ticket. And I, I'm very grateful that, that things changed the way they have. Yeah. It's made it more accessible. Yeah. Um, well, there's a downside of that too, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're going to have that one way or the other. You're going to either have an influx and the hobby grows. You're going to have uh, everybody getting shut down and it just disappears. Right. Yeah. Right. And then you see the two. All you see is the two guys on FSQ call having that same conversation they did just yeah. last week. That's Fred and George again. Yep. <laughs> now, yeah. you have a YouTube channel. And of course, we mentioned that a few minutes ago. But you call yourself the old tech guy, but you got a head full of hair. It, it may be white, salt and pepper, but it's uh, it, it's a head full, a lot more than I have. I'm, I'm quite jealous, matter of fact. But uh, you, you do a lot of videos about a lot of different things, electronics and amateur radio associated. Is it is this something you just kind of started watching YouTube and said, "Hey, I could do that," and and got into it, or how did you begin making videos for the hobby? Well, it was about three years ago. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I had been uh, been using YouTube for my my kids' stuff. He was going to high school. He was in the marching bands, and so I'd film the bands and uh, I started posting videos of that and did it well enough that the parents were all, you know, encouraging me and, and watching my videos because they were they were they were shooting with cell phones and things, and I'd come in with a little. HD uh, camcorder and a tripod and microphones and, and, and make a pretty decent video. Um, and I enjoyed that. And then uh, uh, I don't remember. I'd have to go back and actually look at the videos to see what some of the early ones were about. But I think that I just, you know, I did a couple of things that I thought were cool and posted them on YouTube to see what would happen and got positive feedback. And so I continued with that. And they eventually got more complex and more interesting and, and intricate. And I got better feedback. And then I started to do videos of some of the things that I was building, you know, and, and like a lot of people, I would build things out of need. Um, I don't think it really took off, uh, until the, the Duino box video when I, I needed a digital interface and I couldn't afford a signal link. I was unemployed at that point. And so I designed and built this, this interface and I built it around an Arduino. Um, and that video really took off, uh, and I got a lot of feedback and I had people actually building my design and, you know, sending me pictures and emails and thanking me for stuff. And it's like, Hey, you know, this is kind of fun. I'm enjoying this. Um, maybe I can make money off it eventually and, and survive. Cause I was still unemployed at that point and not having any luck getting interviews. Mm. And so I just started doing more and then, uh, um, it just sort of kept growing. 
And uh, you, you don't really make a lot of money off YouTube. I don't know if you've ever tried that or not, but you make somewhere between one and two dollars per thousand views would be a rough average, right? Uh, so most of my videos that I've put up that haven't even reached a thousand views, I've probably made a dollar off of. <laughs> it took a lot more than a dollar to create that video. Oh yeah, yeah. It's you know it can be hours. Um, the, the Duino box video, for example, uh, I spent days on that. I designed the thing, I had to build it, and you have to film the different segments, and then get all that footage together, and then there's the editing, and then you know filming more to fill in or fix things. I, I can have in a quick one, I can have three hours of work. Um, most of them, I'll have five to six hours of work. Some of them that are multi-part, like um, the Echophone radio that I restored recently. Um, that was a few weeks of working on it every now and then in the evenings, uh, a lot of filming. And I must have had the media file folder when I was ready to start editing had uh, 50-some files in it yeah. that were audio and video segments and schematics and drawings and, and graphics and slides and overlays and titles and things. Uh, there's a lot of work to it. There's really a lot of work to it. Um, you'd have to really hit the ground in a niche uh, and, and gain, you know, thousands and thousands of subscribers and views to really start making money on YouTube. You know, that's one of the things that it, it kind of mimics mirrors podcasting. Some uh, first is the, the amount of work that goes into it. When, when you just consume something, you don't realize like when I sat there and watched your video, you know, there, there was all kind of time that you never see there. And it's almost like somebody needs to make a YouTube video about making a YouTube video in real time. Just so folks can see the red line at the bottom, you know, was like four times as long, eight times as long as the actual finished product. Yeah, I, I did a video on making my videos, but I edited the heck out of it. So <laughs> <laughs> it was about three hours making that video that lasted, what, 10 minutes? Yeah, and, you know, people just, it's not that they don't appreciate what you're doing, but they don't, a lot of them don't understand what it takes to create what you're creating. For instance, my boys, I've got three boys, my two oldest really enjoy stop motion photography, making those Lego movies with whatever they're into this week. It could be Star Wars, could be G.I. Joe, could be a combination of Star Wars and G.I. Joe or something else. You never know. That's fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, but they just shoot thousands of pictures and then mash them all together. And, you know, you get like a two and a half minute video and they've, they've spent three evenings working on this thing and it's, it's on and gone and you don't if you're not watching them you don't know what it takes oh right yeah when i was a kid my best friend and i had a eight millimeter um, film camera that could do frame by frame and gi joe dolls and hot wheels cars <laughs> and some lighter fluid and we put together a whole saga uh, it took us several weekends yeah. yeah yeah now if you could put those on youtube that you'd get some views on those pull, yeah pull, maybe you know, take them to costco yeah <laughs> All right, back in a moment, guys. You're listening to Ham Radio, and ladies, you're listening to the Ham Radio 360 podcast. Did you guys hear the latest episode of the Workbench? They had my buddy John on there, Jeremy, George, and what were they talking about? Well, above everything else, in the conversation, there was a lot of talk about 3D printing. And a lot of talk about SDR radios. And what are they using? They're using the gear from our buddy Joe over at airspy.us, the finest 
SDR receiving dongles and accessories that you can get anywhere on the planet, airspy.us. So uh, we, we've got on with us Kevin. His call is KB9, uh, random long wire. I like that. <laughs> Isn't that isn't that how it always goes? Uh, Kevin was telling me just right off uh, the air between breaks that he has recently re- created himself a new intro to his YouTube channel videos. Uh, Kevin, you said it's CGI. It's it's all done, and, and you did it yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's a a guy hanging from a rope uh, on a big building downtown, painting my call sign and, and graffiti letters across it. Yeah, that didn't that didn't take five or six minutes. I'm sure. No, that took an entire Saturday. Um, <laughs> I, I shot the building, and then uh, the rest of it I did uh, all graphically, uh, using the GIMP and uh, a lot of frames, and then the uh, video editing. I use all open source software here. My machine runs Linux, and all my stuff is, is free and open source. Well, I, I heard GIMP, and I remember the uh, the one Linux machine that I just I loved until it just died. It was a little it was a little netbook that someone had put Mint on. And it had oh, the right. gimp had gimp in it, and, and that caught my ear. So you're an open source guy. I know that you've uh, you, in your video I, that I watched about the FSQ call, you were using uh, Wine to operate the Windows software. Yep. Uh, so you're an open source guy. You you're like our buddies on Linux in the Ham Shack. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I like to feel like I own my computer. <laughs> I can't say that I argue with you in principle at all. So. Uh, that, that's pretty cool stuff. You know, a lot of people get real hung up. This this is totally off topic, but a lot of people get really hung up on having a Windows PC because uh, they want to run WinLink or they think that it's so much easier to operate a Windows PC versus a Linux machine. Uh, I know that's an excuse, but how how would you address a ham who's potentially looking at an alternative operating system in their shack? And how would you present Linux to them as a, a, a feasible operating a feasible way to operate inside the shack versus windows. Well, um, you, you sort of touched on part of, of the reason that most people want, you know, don't want to stray from windows is they say that it's easier, but I don't believe that it is. Um, I think that it's just more familiar. Uh, it's what they've already learned and they've gotten over the hump and the learning curve and they understand where things are in windows. So that's what they define as easy. Um, uh, I think actually Linux is easier to work with. The Linux desktops, they've really come a long way in the past couple of decades. And things are in logical places. They're easy to find. Uh, when I go to my menu, um, for example, I'm looking at categories, accessories, ham radio, internet, um, office, graphics. I'm not looking at a bunch of company names and trying to remember who made that program that I installed that I want to get to. You know, right. um, it, Things are organized better. Um, there's a lot of little things. Right now, I'm, I'm starting a new job. Or I'm working at a new job, and we're, of course, on Windows workstations. And I've really discovered the how many of the little things that I appreciate about Linux that I miss when I'm in the office environment. Things like uh, I can move the mouse pointer over a window and scroll its contents without having to click on it. Um, if I open a new window on a program, I can just start typing. I don't have to click on it. You know, I just opened this window. Of course, it has the focus. In, in the Windows environment at work, if I open a new browser window, I have to click on it before I can type. <laughs> I don't get that, you know? It's like, and it really slows me down. So <clears throat> I think it's easier. Um, it's very, very, very stable. Uh, you have just all kinds of choices. You can have your desktop environment look any way you want. There's desktops that look and behave like the Windows desktop. You can have it look and behave like a Mac. 
Uh, I'm using Mate, which is a desktop that's similar in function to the, the classic Windows 7 type of desktop where you've got a bar and menus, mm-hmm. desktop icons, and you can put things in that bar. I've got the, the current weather up there. I've got uh, my processor usage and memory up there in the bar next to the time. You know, uh, I like having that information available. Um, Windows and Mac OS are going more tablet-like. They're, they're simplifying and dumbing down the interface to the, the George Jetson button-pushing analogy from earlier, you know. Um, and I don't think that it's too complex to have this extra stuff. I think that it's utility. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, Linux, it's stable. Uh, I, I have a netbook here that um, I bought eight years ago. And it came with Windows. I never even booted it up. The first thing I did was took the hard drive out, put in an SSD, and loaded Linux on it. <laughs> and I have done nothing but use it since. I have never had to reload it. I've never had lost any data or corrupted any data or, or had it crash or, or not boot or act weird. It's never slowed down. I don't have to defrag the file system. That's, you know, that's so 30 years ago, and you still have to do that with NTFS. Um, and I have choices about things like the file system. If I don't want to use a certain file system, if I want to use a different file system, I can do that. I don't. I have choices, you know. Right. I can make it look the way I want it to look. I can make it behave the way I want it to behave. It's rock solid, stable. Build it and use it. You know, it's just going to keep working for you. Aside from hardware failures, you know, it's just going to keep working for you. So, um, re- regarding amateur radio, plugging that into the thing into it, how does that work out for you? Well, there's a lot of software. Um, there's there's many different loggers. There's um, FL Digi and as well as other digital programs like there's uh, Slow Scan Television QSS TV. Um, uh, there's uh, satellite tracking software. There's uh, SDR software. Things can be made to work together. I've uh, had the satellite tracking software talking to a rig control program to control the frequency on the radio for the Doppler shift. You know the, the sort of things that. That people say, but I can do this on Windows. Well, you can do that on Linux as well. Right. You know, so um, there's just about everything. There's a a lot of utility there. There's a lot of utility, yeah. You're not going to be lacking for much if you go with Linux. Um, You're going to be able to run FLDG and get all the digital modes. You're going to be able to run WSJTX to get the JT modes. Um, you're going to have slow scan TV. You're going to have facsimile software. You're going to have specialized little things like a little. There's a, there's a program called Multimon that just decodes all these different commercial text modes. I was receiving um, teletext stuff using Poxag from the local hospital, uh, and and piped the audio through Multimon and it just decoded the text. You know, so I could see what they were doing. Or paging transmitters. You could decode the pagers. Wow. Uh, there's an incredible program called New Radio, GNU Radio. Mm-hmm that I think has been ported to Windows and Mac, but it is a sort of a modular programming language for radio. You can build a radio out of modules with it, and it can be incredibly complex. I've seen guys use it to decode the digital telemetry stream off of a commercial communication satellite. They just built all the modules to, to, to do the different um, processes involved in that. So it's like the ultimate software-defined radio. It's complex. I'm approaching it like walking up to Mount Everest. You know, it's, it's huge, but it's powerful. So, yeah, there's a lot that you can do. Now, there is specialized things for Windows a lot of times that you just don't have a choice. 
for example, um, Radioddy sent me this little DMR radio, and their programming software was Windows only. And I could not get it to work under Wine, so I actually had to build a, a Windows virtual machine to, to run it. But I've got that option. Right. I, I've VirtualBox, and I've got Windows uh, as an application, basically. I run it when I need it. A lot of people are afraid, and, and I'm not trying to sign you up for a video here, but I know that a lot of people, when it comes to Linux, they think it's all about coding. They have to go to the C prompt. You know, they have to be in the command mode there. It, I, I I didn't experience that when I was using it on that, that netbook like like you spoke of. Uh, it was It felt just like a green... The green screens, the wrong thing. Mint was green, so everything was green. It was beautiful, actually, uh, but it was it felt really nice, and I got really used to it. And I almost, you know, I, I just I was so disappointed when the little machine died. It just gave up its ghost. It was nothing left, you know. Well, the other thing that I that I tout Linux about is performance. Um, yeah, you know, I've taken older hardware. My my sister um, had a laptop. And it was a regular thing. Two or three times a year, I'd have to go visit just to fix their computer, which was basically take all the viruses out or reload Windows, you know. Um, and its performance was, as Windows moved on, they got the Windows 7, its performance was pretty abysmal. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, what do you do with this thing? She said, oh, we just browse Facebook and, and do email. And I said, oh, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Occasionally, they would write something up, you know, the kids would do homework. Yeah. And I said, well, let's try something. And I went ahead and I put Linux on there. And I put Linux Mint on it because it was, you know, it's the easiest one to transition to if you're coming from Windows. Yeah. Um, I said, let's try this for a month and see what you think about it. Uh, I didn't hear from her for a month. And then like three months later, I called her and said, so uh, how are things going? You want me to put Windows back on there? And she said, heck no. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was performing so much better than it ever had with Windows. Yeah. And it didn't work. And they've had that same computer now for four years. Um, I've never done another thing to it, and they still use it every day. Wow. It, it, it is very lightweight. It's not very heavy. And um, the, the netbook I had did not have anything to do with amateur radio, uh, but it, it did give me a peek into the, the reality and the utility of Linux. Uh, I know that our friends on Linux and Hamjack podcast have talked numerous times about the different um, – Oh, it's it's the different varieties of Debian that you can bring in that have all the ham radio stuff built into them. So it's it's just a suite. Is that what you call it? Is that is that the correct term there? Because I'm not a computer guy. Distribution. Distribution. Okay, so you bring in the distribution that has all of the the uh, the stuff that you would want to play with for ham radio built into sure. it. I mean, it's almost like cheating. Yeah, it is kind of. That's the nice thing about it. It's, it's the Swiss Army knife of operating systems. You can build it to suit. And that's what these distributions are, is people have taken a very bare-bones Linux machine and installed all the right software and then compressed that down into a single CD image, and this is your distribution. So you boot it up, and you've got everything ready to go. Um, There's a Raspberry Pi. There's several Raspberry Pi versions of Debian that that are customized for specific things. You know, there's there's one that boots right into an Amiga emulator, and you can just basically make, you know, here's my Amiga. It's a Raspberry Pi. Um, and there's an amateur radio version. And then uh, uh, the SDR Play guys, um, after I did the, uh, the Linux uh, scripts for their SDR Play um, hardware, they used that as a building point, and they actually created a Raspberry Pi image that's a ready-to-go SDR image for working with the uh, um, SDR Play. You know, so it's, it seems to me that we, we purposefully limit ourselves 
Uh, maybe just like someone who who doesn't want to study for their amateur extra exam, or maybe someone who doesn't want to learn code, or they're intimidated by both of those or either of those. Uh, maybe that's somebody who's always been an FM guy on VHF and. He hears people talking about this FSQ mode, but it's like, oh, I can't do that. It's almost like we're limiting ourselves uh, to what we're used to, what we're comfortable with, and we just kind of suck it up and, and take what we can get. But there's a lot out there that we're not really utilizing, and it gives life to older units that we feel like that have surpassed their you know, time here. Uh, you can put Linux on an old machine, man, and have a brand new one. Pretty much. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be faster and, and feel fresh. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you sort of touched on it there. It's it's a comfort zone. People sit at, settle into a comfort zone, and I'm here and everything works. Why would I want to do it? <laughs> this is easy. I push the button. It's yeah, on. It's yeah. like, well, this is ham radio. This this is a hobby that was started that germinated and went through its pupa stage as an experimental hobby, as people building what they needed and trying new things and. You know, you couldn't just, there wasn't a comfort zone. Right. It was, you were forcing yourself to march at the frontier and, and you know, move along with it. And so, yeah, you know, do something. Get out there and, and try it out. You know, it, that's what the hobby's about. Like FSQ. Yeah, here's something new. Try it out. See what, it, you know, see if, you, if, it, if it'll work for you, if you have a use for it. And if not, hey, play with it for a while just to have something to do. It's, you know, it's fun. Cool stuff. But, Kevin, thank you for coming on, man. Enjoyed having you here on the podcast. Sure, man. Thanks very much. And uh, uh, anybody that wants to check out any of my videos, um, you can just search my call sign on YouTube. That'll I've, I've embedded that in most of them, so you should find most of them. My channel's right there. Excellent. And we'll have the uh, the FSQ call video in the show notes here at hamradio360.com. But again, man, I enjoyed chatting with you. I know it's been a long time. We've, we've had this... We've had email conversation for six months now, so thank you for for dealing with me as uh, stuff would come up and come down, but really appreciate you being here, and and thank you for your your time creating those things for us to learn from and enjoy. As a fellow creator, I understand that, and I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, well, thank you, Kel, and I I enjoyed talking to you, and uh, you, uh, uh, I'll... I'll, uh, link your uh, podcast as well in, the, in one of my videos here probably talk about this too because uh, you got some good stuff there I've, I've enjoyed listening to some of it well thank you very much guys his name is kevin his call is kilo bravo nine romeo lima whiskey you'll find his links in the show notes check him out on youtube just type in kb9 rlw again kevin thank you we'll see you next time okay thank you kale Thanks again, Kevin, man. Really cool to have you on. And wow, the great conversation. I tell you, I, I learned a lot right there. Hope you guys did too. Hey, don't forget to check him out. Uh, you can find him, KB9RLW, or the old tech guy on Facebook and YouTube. I'll have the links in the show notes. All right. Hey, uh, Kenwood Radios, I'm looking around my shack and they're everywhere TS50, TS850, 71A. 281s. Uh, what is that? It's a 707. That's an old school rig. I've got that in my old truck, by the way. Hey, I got the boxes. I've got them. I got them ready to deploy here. The 281s ready to go for Aries. Uh, they all came from MTCRadio.com. If you're looking for Kenwood gear, there's no other place to go than MTCRadio.com. They're a show sponsor. I'm going to tell you this, but that's not why, right? Really good prices. Really great people. Check them out. MTCRadio.com. 
And here we are at segment number four of the Ham Radio 360 podcast, episode 86. It's completely, totally unbelievable that uh, we're still here. I mean, honestly, guys, it was just like a five-part joke for an interview kind of a thing with some buddies on an internet forum, and here we are. And uh, that's the APRS DigiPeter. Thank you, KWF. He did a great job on that. Just, I, I, I still have it here in the shack. It's running, but it's in the shack because I have to buy a new rack. Another expense to uh, to move the fire department repeater out of the my repeater rack. So anyway, it, it's going, and it won't be long. It'll be on the air, uh, which is which kind of makes me wonder about some future additions to the repeater regarding some sort of internet connectivity. I did a, a, a inter, intermediate non-scientific poll in the Facebook group the other day. Uh, what three things do you want from me that I'm not giving to you now? By far the biggest response is YouTube videos. I'm not ready for that yet. I don't have the space or the equipment. Uh, we'll talk about it. I'm not against doing it, okay? But I'm going to have to probably have some help with some of those things. Additionally, um, the an internet DMR, IRLP, kind of a check-in net thing, there was a request or four for that. I'm not above that against it either. If that's something we can make happen with DMR or potentially IRLP, I don't know. Uh, we could do that if somebody wants to uh, to to begin working to spearhead that up. Just let me know. Uh, I'd love to chat with you guys. I mean, I'm chatting with you right now. I'm sitting in my barn, pouring sweat, having a one-sided conversation, and now you're smiling. So it worked. Uh, thank you very much for smiling and sticking around to the end of this program. Uh, thank you again to Kevin for being here with me. Thank you so much to uh, all, all the folks out there that are just making this thing happen and being a part of what we're doing. You know, new patrons come on all the time. Thank you very much, Brian. Appreciate you tagging on as well as Sterling came on. Thanks, dude. Uh, great to see your name just pop up in my inbox. That was awesome. Uh, so thanks to both of you guys this week for becoming uh, Patreon patrons. If you're interested in that, just go to the website, kind of scroll down a little bit. You'll see the orange kind of P that says support. Thank you for your support. That's what it is. Click it. A dollar a month or as much as you want to spend, it's there. And you just type in your info and bang, it takes care of it for you. Thank you to everyone. Andrew, I see you in Arizona. Thank you, guys. Um, anyway, I'm looking around my shack. There's something I have to remember to tell you, and I think it's Curtis. And Curtis over at Everything Ham Radio is doing these call sign plaques. And I think he's lost his mind, really. He's doing these things for $15 each this month to introduce his product to you out there in the hemisphere Curtis Everything Ham Radio will create for you a plaque with your name and call sign on it, and he'll do it for $15. I told him he was crazy. He's going to be overwhelmed, but uh, Curtis is an awesome guy, and I hope that he's going to be really successful with this. They look great. Mine that he created for me, he did one for George, Jeremy as well. They look beautiful. Mine's hanging right here in my shack, right beside the old Photime podcast. Uh, a little memento that I had made a while back. So thank you guys uh, for the opportunity to come hanging out with you. Uh, don't forget I got jackets. I, I, I've been promising I'm going to take them out of the store, but you guys keep buying them, so I keep leaving them in there. I haven't sold a load of them, but they've been they've been going out. They look great if you're interested in a soft-shell type wintertime water-resistant, wind-resistant coat. They're bad. I mean, really, they're bad news. So check them out in the store. The, you can find the shopping link there, hamradio360.com. I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Uh, I don't know what else to say besides thank you so very much for listening. And finally, to my friends and fellow hams and citizens in the Gulf Coast of the U.S., God bless you. We have and we will continue to pray for you. 
we uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you so much for listening, every one of you. God bless you, 73.